Welcome to Use After Free, where we will discuss whatever topics are on our minds at the moment. This is an outlet for us to explore new ideas, challenge each other, challenge ourselves, and challenge our listeners. We believe that discussion about hard topics is vital to the success of our country, our communities, and ourselves. Have a listen, start a discussion, and reach out to be involved. We hope you like this episode, and please subscribe for more content. Why do we choose the name Use After Free? Well, we were searching for something that would embody everything that we talk about, which is a whole lot of everything. Wide fucking range of topics. All the topics, because why would we be that focused? Also, um, I think we're both just trying to harken back to, uh, we both work in computer security or cybersecurity or whatever buzzword in computers you want to put on there. Insert, yep, thing. And then also the idea that uh, America, freedom, and uh, you had you had some good, well more thought out correlations to that than just America, with the God comma. Yeah. So <laughs> well, yeah. So like, you know, use after free the the whole exploit is is a thing where you know, hey, this particular piece of code is to. It can be used after it's been deallocated from memory, right? You can attack that. There's that. The second part of that being that um, really with our wide range of topics that we're going to discuss, the idea that freedom is going to extend, you know, like kind of a time capsule, if you will, like use this after you've deemed yourself free or, you know, free in your mind, anything that really just goes beyond the typical understanding. Yeah, because I think a big thing, that both of us focus on, even though we are, I would say, more or less aligned. Maybe we'll find out exactly where we fall on our alignment in political or personal beliefs. But that as long as a yeah. person, at least for me, has a well-thought-out and well-founded position and they understand their belief, I'll at least respect that and have no loss for them as a person or a friend, even if we disagree on any topic, because we're all individuals. But... uh I'm not a big fan of the sheepdom, as they say, or people who just, you know, base their life off of Facebook headlines or whatever Facebook calls them. I don't have one. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to try and steer away from derogatory terms as far as labeling individuals, because honestly, like, I, I think that's part of the stuff that's helping to tear the, the society as a whole apart. Um, I do candidly believe there are certain things that play or at work that, you know, do that. Uh, I, I fervently believe the media is extremely divisive today. I think that they are part of the reason that's driving the narrative for people to think the way they do. And, you know, I, I want to, I want to try and have a platform to be able to speak my mind and say, uh, you know, this is how I think this is the way I think. And, you know, be able to to speak to that. I think it's also important to have dissenting opinions to that. So um, if anyone ever does want to come on to the show and speak about something specifically, be sure to tweet at us. An email can be sent to uafpodcast at gmail.com. Um, okay, cool. So with that out of the way, one other thing I wanted to discuss today was the idea, something that's really been on my mind. Uh, what's your thought process on taking down statues today? I think taking down statues today is just some random childish 
infantile act of aggression because people have let people get away with far too much recently and they are just acting out. I think given the current COVID-19 pandemic and everyone being cooped up in their house and then only being able to isolate via internet means or, you know, maskless protests, whatever, uh, being able to isolate, they really put themselves into echo chambers. And I think that they just reached kind of a breaking point. And going back before that, I think it was a lot more um, shocking. Like if a, if a statue got pulled down, right? So recently think of, think of uh, I guess not so recently anymore. Um, think of when we, we being the United States, tore down Saddam Hussein's statue when we liberated Iraq, right? That was a big moment um and i think that, that that was super symbolic that was the headline across the world was the symbolism of the united states which has kind of been this upper pinnacle of what a free world can be toppling a massive dictator uh and now you just have people out there trying to tear down statues rename buildings do whatever they can um on a separate tirade that I'm sure we can get into my big point um, or something that I thought about a lot is I really strive for logical consistency. And I think that comes down to, you know, I respect people with well thought out other opinions. I have a lot of friends who hold very different opinions than me on different topics, but they can at least iterate why they're there. And you could say agree to disagree or whatever. But my, my point is how did all of these become a issue under the current administration. Um, either way that the administration is slanted, it wasn't a problem six years ago. I, I think you you have you touched on. There's a lot of stuff to unpack there, right? So, so sure. So I think that's that's my my piece on that is I think it's acting out and lashing out, and it's a proxy for your anger elsewhere that has been intensified by an echo chamber. That that's my overall view of the statues. It's a single incident that points to all of these underlying problems that we see right now. So you don't believe we should tear down statues like period full stop. No, because I believe that if you erase history, we're bound to repeat it. I, I, I can understand that sentiment. And some of the arguments I've heard posed from my friends on the left are things like, okay, so if I wanted to erect a statue statue of Hitler, you know, would that be okay? In America, sure. It'd be okay. I disagree with you, and I have every right to tell you that that's extremely distasteful to have a statue of Hitler in your front yard. But you're free to do so. Right. So I I said something to the same effect. I said, yes, it's 100% within your rights to erect that statue and if it's on your private property you can go right ahead and do that and you know one of the things i think gets overlooked today is the idea that you have rights right you have the right to freedom of expression right to freedom of speech through you know acts of art cool uh erect that statue if you so choose however you also have to live with the consequences of that right and you know living with that so good luck trying to find employment after that fact good luck trying to engage in society outside of that fact to establish that point of view so it's not really an apples to apples comparison yeah i I think you touched on a big piece there with the um the response and with the consequences of your actions i think that's underlying a lot um i am not a father you are a father uh i think a common analogy i use even in those cases 
is uh, I'm not exactly sure what is expected where the government, uh, the administration would be the parent. They would be you in this analogy. And the people would be the child. When your child is screaming and throwing a temper tantrum and hitting you, is that the time that you just give them what they want? Do you just fold and not do that? Or do you teach them that you stick to what is right is right? And I think that that is a very simple analogy that brings it out of a, well, the administration isn't helping me type of thing. It's like, no, how do you, how do you properly raise a child? You don't just fold when they throw a temper tantrum. That's like, I thought parenting 101. I, I haven't taken the course yet, but I'm assuming I'm going to walk out with that textbook answer. I never read the baby book. I'm not going to lie. I just kind of dove headfirst into how to dad and then like you kind of figure it out as you go along. But to that end, you know, I think we both could stand. I, I don't think this would be a controversial statement, but I would disavow and condemn any acts of racism, sexism, any of that anything of that nature. Like, I don't believe that that's good. And I don't think it's great, uh, going to further our society in any good manner. So I'm going to publicly call that out. That's a thing. However, to that end, I think you, anyone would agree with that with a, with a sensible mindset, right? Right. I mean, how, how would you stand for that? So past, present, future history, racism, sexism, anything bad is still bad, but to go that as far as like, okay, Hey, Let's start attacking statues. If we play with this for a little bit and think about, hey, how's that work today? If we if we tried to do that and if like obviously project beyond the idea of just the United States because we don't live in a vacuum, right? Sure. Cool. So, do you want to st- do you want to tear down the uh, pyramids of Giza? Do you want to tear down anything that was involved? You know, the use of slavery to uh, construct something. Right. Right. Um, I think I think there's a lot, a lot on just what you talked about right there. Um, those those different points and extrapolating. If you want to use some of the language that would possibly resonate better today, I mean, what are first of all, you have to admit that people are complex. It's not a simple yes no. People strive to be better. One thing that always irks me in ignorance is people who say this country was founded on slavery when it was in the first draft of the constitution and stays to this day that they've outlawed slavery. Yes, it existed. Yes. They recognized that there would be economic collapse and therefore no nation could get its footing. But all the founding fathers, at least a quorum of them decided that the country cannot embrace that in its laws. So it was spelled out already with a deadline when we founded this country. Right. So to say that they were, they held them. Yes, I understand they did that. That was an economic necessity, but to put that into perspective and judge them on today's standards, it's, it's like, I'm sorry they didn't have the privilege of being born in 2020. Like, I don't understand how that could be judging people with today's standards or the standards of your time looking backwards. Yeah, it's literally a repeat of uh, when England came and settled here in the 1600s. Like they decided that Native Americans were savages because they viewed their technological advances as hundreds of years ago and decided that, wow, these people are terrible because they aren't where we are. It it just doesn't hold sense because obviously we know today that they aren't any lesser for that uh, at, at all. So it's just a very interesting concept to try to be like, well, we should do this. And they're very complex uh, individuals who have more than just this one thing. 
And it's also selectivism, right? Like we're going to highlight the bad that they did instead of founding one of the most free and most popular and most stable countries in the world that has spread ideals or paid defenses across the world or helped bail out anyone else. That has pulled the most individuals out of poverty of all time. Point blank, I think, since the founding until today, it's done more than globally since civilization has been keeping record of that fact, actually, so in 200 years. Right. But I think that filter, they, it's not applied against the same heroes, right? I know uh, before we hit record, you and I were talking about MLK um, or Mother Teresa, and everyone wants to highlight the goods, but no one looks at the bads when it's very easy to paint that light. And it's just... It's irksome when people spin one side of something to meet their needs um, without recognizing the others. Or everyone could just say, hey, we're sloppy, messy people who all make mistakes and we're trying our best. So let's look at what was contributed, what we should remember and learn from the things that we shouldn't remember. Right. I'm not saying let's look at the good that Hitler did. I can't think of much that he did do. But I also hate the race to comparing everything to Hitler because the Holocaust was such a gross atrocity um i don't know if you've been there but once you go through those concentration camps it gets really annoying when people come back and draw quick conclusions to that Uh, go do a tour go see what happens go walk where those people walked and look at what happened and read what happened and then come back and make those quick jumps about people It, it just doesn't hold any weight so that what you you hit on something that resonates a lot with me and that's the idea that people make these snap judgment decisions based off of the information that they're given. So one of the things that I got asked recently also was, you know, how do, how do um, individuals who purportedly are going to vote for president Trump, you know, how do they feel about him trying to sideline the election or to, you know, undermine it with doing what he's doing to the post office. And I mean, that's, that's a conversation in and of itself, but Uh, individuals take this snapshot of here's what I've been told. Okay. Let's, let's unpack that for a second. Did you go read this for yourself? Did you go experience that for yourself? Did you go, you know, take a thorough look at what you've been told? Because uh, I'm going to fall back on something I've heard from a very intelligent person and say, like, I might be wrong is how I start every, you know, debate of argument because it's, it's very easy to be like, I could very well be wrong about this. I'm not a hundred percent certain. And, you know, it, it makes it pretty easy to navigate any sort of waters you're in. If you always take the defensible standpoint of, I'm not sure, but this is what I believe. And here's my boundaries by all means, you know, change my mind. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a big mark um, that I look for too. Now, um, right? I used to uh, debate a lot. I, I still, I still debate a lot. Uh, but I mean, I used to be more blindly into debating my points. Um, and something that I have learned, and right, and I was that person where right? I would find someone who clashed with my ideals, and I would have this martyrdom to convert them to my side on that point. But now, I, um, I would say, I'd probably get more nicely would be impassioned i would say maybe loud or aggressive towards it in a more negative light but i would try to convince them and now i find uh, as i've grown and i've gotten older um i try to i quickly make a decision like i'll talk to anybody about what i believe i'm pretty open about it on any stance any topic 
but if it's something we disagree on and I can feel the person just shuts down and all they want to do is shout down at me about what their point is or say that, that and they're not willing to exchange those ideas, then I, I just don't anymore. It's reduced a lot of stress in my life to not just try to like talk to a wall. Yeah. Again, like, so you hit on, so something you mentioned is the idea that, you know, getting shouted down, having participants really disengage from the conversation that's actually productive, right? So I think there's a lot going on with today's society where it's just easier to say, hey, man, I think this way, take take my ideas on why I support Trump. Uh, specifically, I really appreciate what he's doing with Israel. And I know certain individuals take uh, cause with being isolationist, but isolationism only works up until it doesn't and someone actually interferes with our country. Well, we got to do something about that. I really appreciate what he does with, you know, whether you agree with it or not, uh, pro, pro-life. He is, I th- believe, still the only president who's actually ever visited the March for Life in Washington. Super cool to me. I believe that all lives do indeed matter. And uh, beyond that, Gasp. I, I know. Uh, so I, I had this really intrinsic thought process last night. Um, my friend retorted with, okay, you've got all these positions where Trump, you align with Trump on your political values or where his you know, administration is going. Uh, I guess you don't care about women's rights. And I, I thought about that for a long time. And what I came, came to the conclusion of is that, you know, there's the, the time where you place a word in front of rights I don't 100% agree with, like, rights. Yes, people have rights. Human rights, women's rights. Um, There's still people, black rights, white rights, individual rights. Everyone, a right has to work for everyone, not a specific group. I take cause with that. I, I I'll give you that. I, I agree. I think once you start putting qualifiers, especially like that, it, it's a mark of, um, that's my first red flag. My first red flag when people are talking and they put all of these woke words that are in front of them. And I just, I don't understand what it means. I understand certain things that were very, very important at certain times in our history as a country. And I recognize those times, but today I need to know what they are and what people stand by to make a convincing argument. As for the support of President Trump for re-election... I think I was, I think it's a much different place than in 2016. Uh, 2016, uh, when you look at, when you look at that election, when I remember back to that election, uh, it was between, for those who may not remember, it's Mrs. Hillary Clinton and Mr. Donald Trump as the vying candidates in the two major parties here in the United States. I think that, that became a, for me, a lesser of two evils along with ideals. I'm not necessarily party bound. I've voted libertarian in the past as well, just because it more aligns with what I have. And I feel bad writing in Mickey Mouse. Um, but when I had to decide between those two and I was staring at 
Fast and Furious operation. I was watching Benghazi. I was watching Bleach Gate and all of the pieces that happened there. While I had to redo my derivative classification training when I learned it doesn't apply if you're this one person for some reason. Uh, and I was going through all of these and I was thinking about who was going to hold the office. It became more of a, yeah, I understand he's a bad person. And I'm not necessarily going to agree with anything that he said as a person but I can't draw a single line back to seven American lives on his hands. So it, it was a little bit of a clarifying topic for me on that point. I don't see that in this one. I agree with you on policy. I agree with you on a lot of those decisions. And he has kept a lot of his campaign promises in terms of uh, meeting what he said he would do, slashing regulation, increasing the economy pre-pandemic. Um, and he, he's delivered on a lot of those supporting the troops, supporting job growth. Uh, he's made the strongest strides in minority employment in the country's history. Uh, and I think in to, to counter the people who say, you know, like, well, what about this bad? I think there's plenty of things on character, namely point to anything on Twitter that he does that we can attack. We don't have to make up other statistics that aren't true or attack those facts. Like there are faults. There are faults with the current president, but there are things he's kept. So I'm not, I'm undecided person in 2020. Um, it might be a libertarian cast, but. So yeah, I don't think it's a intellectually defensible position to say Trump doesn't say things that are not appropriate or, he speaks out on things that he might not be 100% informed on. I think that's a fair and reasonable statement, right? And it would be, you know, intellectually dishonest of me to try and try and defend that because it is what it is. So if the grounds that you are not going to vote for Donald Trump on are that he says bad things, I, I don't think he's ever going to win you over. Like, that's all there is. I would just ask that you hold that same, you know, integrity when you choose you cast your ballot for an individual so if you don't like trump because he says bad things um dog face pony soldier uh person sniffing candidate you know you're not i see that as a null sum right there like i'm not i'm not in favor of either uh i mean we could get into the gaffes that joe biden has made and I, I agree with you that, like, yes, beyond the fact that Trump has aligned a lot of his goals from his campaign to his organization. However, there is still stuff that Trump did not follow through on or has even uh, doubled back on. Specifically, he's passed more uh, anti-2A uh, Second Amendment legislation than the previous administration which was a democratic administration. And when they did have the, the house and the Senate and the executive, did they pass any legislation that was pro two a that I I'm unsure on. No, no, they did not. Not a single thing was done. However, I would bet you dollars to donuts. There are already uh, individuals lining up so that as soon as, Biden were to take office, they would have bills submitted for things like universal background checks, incentivization of red flag laws from a federal standpoint down to a state standpoint to enact them. Let's talk about that. What, what do you mean in uh, the case of a universal background check? 
So uh, the idea that the idea promulgated by the media is that uh, not everyone goes through a background check when you purchase a firearm. When you purchase a firearm from a federally fire a federal firearms licensure, you go through what's called a NICS check, and it says, "Hey, are you on the database of people who have done bad things? Have, have you been a domestic uh, abuser? Have you been convicted of a felony? Are you a fugitive from justice?" And you answer all these questions, and they take your name and potentially social security number, bounce it off a database and say yes or no, right? So that's a standard process. What that does not apply to is a private sale. Hey, you know, I would like to sell a gun to you. When I do that, there's nothing that needs to be involved because I sell you a gun. That's the end of the discussion. We're two private citizens. We both have the right to keep and bear arms. And that's the end of the discussion. So a universal background check, ideally, in their mind, would be every single time you purchase a firearm, you would have to go through that same purchase procedure of a background check system. There's a lot of issues to that. Currently, um, during these very, very strange times that we're living in, the current background check system was overwhelmed to the point of shutting down for a week. Uh, Just recently, as the pandemic kicked off, due to the fact of everyone buying firearms. What does that tell you? It tells me that the government is not the solution. Preventing individuals from having their right to keep and bear arms. I mean, again, going back to individuals who, who've got sorted history is, you know, a right delayed is a right denied. I think the issue that I take with universal background check, and we're going to skip over the whole fact that this is based generally in legislation by People who, as an example, uh, decided that AR-15s weigh as much as 10 boxes and shoot 50 caliber bullets, which just highlights their knowledge uh, or lack thereof of the platform, have decided that we need to have a universal background check, which you did outline what that means going through that process. But I think the more insidious piece there that is implied is that how do you you cannot have a universal check unless you have a universal database and when you have a whole database that is every single gun owner in the country with every single firearm it now makes a removal of said firearm from said people in a very easy and regimented way whereas now you have to have caution when you're not exactly sure how that lines up that's that's more the view that that I take, and my biggest stance against it is that when it's a guaranteed right, we don't have to have a list of every single compliant person or a non-compliant person. So to that end, one of the big issues I take, I I came from a poor family, uh, you know, personally, and I also believe every single individual deserves the right to freedom and the right to protection. So what's that actually mean? Well, uh, take a case in point. I wanted to purchase a firearm. How much does that cost? Money is the driving factor at the end of the day. Let's say the cheapest uh, handgun you can purchase today costs you $100. You take that. What if you would like to carry that handgun on your persons? Let's say, you know, take an average. That's another $100 to have a state license you to be able to do that. That's $200. Then you have to have a background check done. You can't do that yourself because that's like checking your own homework, right? 
So there's another cost that can only be performed by a federally firearm, federal firearm licensure. Let's say on average that ranges anywhere from uh, $25 to $50, depending on locality and everything else. So let's say $25. Bucks. And then you have registration of that firearm in some states, which may or may not exist, another $25. So the $100 gun that you bought to protect yourself and would like to have on your persons at all times went from a single $100 bill, which is a lot for a lot of people, to 250 really quick. So you're removing the ability for the low income and poverty stricken individuals to be able to protect themselves. And I think that's wrong. I would agree. I, I think that that is a barrier that's put into play. Um, and I don't think it was one that was foreseen previously. Though I did do some quick napkin math while you were talking there. And in the grand state of Michigan where we live, you can also view that as uh, 2,500 pop cans returned. That's <laughs> you would. That's a lot of space, man. It's a lot of space. That is indeed a lot of space. So, and that you didn't even account for ammunition, the rounds. That's that's true because I mean the hundred dollars to have your fingerprints done, go through the process. I I completely you know miss the idea of like going out to the range, shooting your weapon, which is a requirement of a lot of those classes that you would be required to take in that state. True. And it's a very interesting, um, very interesting piece. I, I think, I, I think 2A is one of the strongest illustrations of an argument that is ideological in nature and not understood by both parties. Um, I don't even mean both parties as in politically, which you could maybe draw a correlation there, but I mean truly like both people talking. Generally, when you find someone who is pro-2A, they have an in-depth understanding of what the Second Amendment guarantees or how, in a practical sense, or this doesn't need to be an intellectual discussion at that point. It is what basic terms are when it comes to firearms and self-defense. Um, and you're generally talking about someone who is anti-2A when they they don't understand even the most basic facts um, and that it is just how they feel or what they believe um, for some, for some reason, whatever that may be. Um, and I just haven't been able. I was going to say, I think one of my favorite examples of that, I can't remember if it was Diane Feinstein or Nancy Pelosi, who when asked, you know, what is the, what is the magazine? What some component to a firearm and she said, it's the shoulder thing that goes up. The shoulder thing that goes Let up. Let me see if I can find it. One sec. There's too many examples of Congress members not understanding the topics that they're legislating on. And we could go down so many different rabbit holes on that piece. Um, but I, I think the big, the, big, the big piece there is what are the limitations to our rights, right, as they're enshrined as inalienable rights, right? The idea is that the government's, the Constitution's point is to limit the government, live in a limited government capacity where they, as a body over us, cannot limit our inalienable rights is one that is quickly forgotten when it's very easy to legislate in beliefs. 
um, and to see it swing both ways could be bad. Uh, so what what are the limits? What where do you draw the line? Any of them, two A or any any number of the rights that you're guaranteed. So is that a personal question or an intrinsic question? I I, th- I mean, the intrinsic question is that that's what ends up at a Supreme Court challenge, right? It's their job to determine the scope of which what the Constitution can limit or not. Yeah. Uh, I was asking you, what, what do you think or what are your views on where some of these limitations are or how do we decide these facts? Yeah, so where do I draw the line on, like, the Second Amendment? That is a very, very... <sighs> Do I believe individuals should have, uh, you know, biological weapons? No. Do I believe individuals should have nuclear armament? No. Do I believe that individuals should have drones? No. There is a limitation on much of what we do today. There's a limitation on you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater if the theater is not on fire because that's a call to action. You cannot have a... uh, I mean, you can theoretically own a tank if you go through the proper procedures, right? If you want to own a Predator drone, you need uh, FAA clearance to fly in certain airspaces. So there's that. Uh, Where do I draw it at? Like, it's still pretty blurry for me. I haven't seen a distinct line in the sand where I can point to and say, here, right here is where I say, this is cool. This is no longer... uh, you know, something that a civilian should be relegated to a civilian. I mean, I think, I think you touched on something that that's pretty important, which is the idea of a call to action, which people view as an infringement or limitation to their uh, free speech. The first amendment, what you're enshrined to have, which covers your speech, your assembly, your religion. Um, I don't, I don't view, um, and I, I believe it is the justice's view that it, a call to action is not speech at that point. As soon as you have that call to action, you are no longer protected. Um, the most obvious answer as you gave way is the idea of shouting fire in a crowded room. Um, but the underlying idea is any call to action or any movement that is directed, that is going to be more intense. Um, this is the same thing uh this is the very mechanism that protects groups of people um when you have terrible things like you had that uh the congressional baseball game that got uh a drive-by shooting a few years ago and put a few senators in the hospital it's the people who uh you've seen the i don't know if you saw the maga bomber more recently who was sending out mail to democratic supporters Um, You found those people who did some assaults in the name of Bernie Sanders. You can't hold those politicians liable because even though I vehemently disagree with many of them on what they believe or what they believe should be law, they did not call out a specific attack. They had no call to action. Um, There are calls to action. You can see those. Those are when people make edicts or they make decrees saying that we need to rise up and attack this person, a direct threat. Um, at that point, you're, you're no longer speaking your view. You're no longer saying something that is disgruntled. Um, I believe the adage is you have the right to shake your fist freely so long and up until it strikes another in the face. So, I mean, you, to that end, though, 
where so there's a lot of rhetoric going on on the left about hey uh these individuals are the reason of systemic racism these individuals are what's wrong with america and specifically a lot of that sort of rhetoric is directed at the president and i i don't understand like i don't understand how on one hand we can sit and say this is okay, freedom of speech. And then on the other hand, some of these individuals are having direct calls to action and we're not engaging our police force to enforce the laws that we do have. I think uh, that that's going to be a murky topic in the fact of the engagement of the police because at the end of the day, um, I mean, it's the same thing when you see that meme about the National Guard getting called in and someone's like, calm down, it's... Joe, who was selling you tacos on the weekend, he decided that he was going to go and show up. You're not going to get shot. Um, it, the police, still, at the end of the day, I mean, they're human beings. They want to enforce the law, and they do a very good job. And I, I am one of the biggest supporters of the police. But when the mayor says stand down, I mean, that's their boss's 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 boss as far as they're concerned. I mean, it, it they can disagree with it, but they also look at you know feeding their family, feeding everybody um i don't fault the police in those instances right i believe they should respond i think they want to respond more often than not but they don't know what the climate is and it's very dangerous for them right now um as far as systemic racism or calls against that against the administration or whatever i going back to your statue talk i don't understand like when i talked about the point of things being clear um or having a logical consistency to them like why weren't you tearing down statues and renaming buildings six years ago what what was the issue so uh, where where was your problem then so that's what i mean by proxy and that's where i think a lot of those issues come from if it was systemic racism now it was then too but you weren't acting out when there was someone in your pocket in control so i'm not exactly sure how that fits and i can't really find any things right we we're not on a witch hunt here like that that's wasted energy there's a lot of things wrong and a lot of things i'd like to change um and try to help people with and i think that there's a lot of problems we can address i don't really think we have the spare time and the spare cycles to go on a witch hunt for what you call this mystical thing of systemic racism that you can't point me to when you say it just exists man like that's really hard to target like show me, show me the laws, show me the policy, show me the influence of that so that we can go and change that. And I will help you. Right. Like, I don't want anyone to be treated differently because of how they look, either sex, creed, race, gender, religion, whatever your difference is. I don't care what it is. And I'll help you change that. So they have equal views. But like, you can't just shout about it. Like, tell me what it is so we can change it. And if you can't, then I don't know what your point is. I mean, again, I, I totally agree with you to the extent that, hey, I think it's intellectually disingenuous to sit there and say it's an issue today, but it wasn't six years ago. So having the discussion of it's intellectually disingenuous to say this is an issue today. It wasn't an issue when the individual who was in office was different. Okay, so... I have a thought process, again, a, a little thought experiment. Let's say, for example, just clear your mind, take a deep breath, 
have this idea for a second. Let's take the idea that maybe the president isn't a racist, isn't a sexist, is not what currently is reported on the mainstream news. Let's say that's not true. Just for a second. Would you still take cause with him being the president? If the case is yes, and you can point to specific policies or there's specific individual things that you're not cool with, all right, let's have that discussion. If the answer is no, then I think it's I think it's disingenuous. I don't think you're I don't know that you're asking yourself enough intrinsic questions about is the information I'm being told true? I don't think there's much of that going around these days anyway. The self-thinking and self-introspection on what they believe. But I think that comes down also like, but then we ask, we have to ask ourselves a why. Why is that not happening and why was it there? Um, and again, as as it happens, as I love history, let's look back to the founding. Let's look back to the founding fathers who saw a stride and a huge point on uh, educating yourself and reflecting and growing, um, being with yourself, understanding your thoughts and knowing what you stand for. I mean, they were able to pull together a group of people to go to fight against the strongest empire for a couple hundred years. Like Since the fall of the Roman Empire, the British Empire basically took over. And these people were convicted enough in their beliefs to stand up against that. They had the educational background that they needed to push for themselves and they could speak for themselves. But they also spoke out about the idea that you need to educate yourself and make your decisions that you stand by. Things that are, in their words, that make you right with God and with your faith and with your countrymen. I think that that is something that isn't a focus today. There is no real weight or education placed on understanding the bigger picture of your role in society and what you can do. I don't think that there's a bigger emphasis on what truly matters. Um, I think it's more of a, this is a comfort, this is exciting, this is fun. Or, you know, you mix that with a little bit of this keyboard warrior and being able to shout whatever you want on the internet and it becomes a big big echo chamber of problems that are based on some very non-thought-out points. Um, and that's, that's I think, a big crux of the issue is that I think there's a lot of people who just don't know themselves or know what they believe, uh, and they certainly aren't willing to go and actually think about it before they make the commitment to defend it. So introspection, I think, is a succinct word, right? Yep. So how do you encourage, foster, um, spur introspection to a community at large? Like, what do we have to do to, to get that moving forward? I think that would help community as a whole. I think that's a grassroots issue as much as that sounds buzzwordy in and of itself. I mean, I don't think there's something that you can sit there and evangelize to a whole nation at once about self-introspection. Uh, especially in the polarization that is today, right? I mean, here's here's what I find, right? Like, it's very easy for me to sit here and say something that attacks, quote-unquote, the left. And it's very easy for Pod Save America to say something that attacks the right. Um, but what I find, and you can cast these these bad sides on the other side of the aisle, as it were. Um, but I think what happens is when you sit down like this, right, when it sits down and it's one person, one person, two people, 
whatever. It's a small group of people that you know and that you can have a conversation with. And you can say, hey, we're in the same room or we've known each other. I've, this is what happens to me constantly when I go back home to my family and they have some of their friends over as well. You sit down, these people are sharing all of the memes that I disagree with on the other side of the aisle. They, they just don't. But when we sit down there and we have a conversation about these topics, it's a lot less volatile. It's a lot less, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? It's a lot less hyperbolic. It's a lot less everyone on that side believes that because they have that pressure that they can't tell me that I'm that, right? Like everyone's willing to say the right is way racist until they sit down in a room with me and the person knows me and has grown up with me. They're not going to tell me that I'm racist because they know that I'm not. So I think that's a disarming fact. I think that that is where the grassroots comes from. It comes from conversations like this and it comes from engaging with the person, right? We can engage with ideas easily. We can generalize and I can, I can read a democratic platform and I can say this party believes that because they publish what they believe. They pass legislation on what they believe, but I never ever sit down to someone who identifies with that and say, you believe this. I don't put the party's beliefs on the person. I say, this is what the party believes. This is how I disagree with that. Where do you fall? Because I don't think everyone, it's not a block. It's not a, you have to conform to every single piece. Everyone's an individual. So I think when you sit down one-on-one, you have these conversations, you talk about the topics that matter to you. I think that forces the introspection, right? Bring the other point, break the echo chamber of that person break just shatter that glass be like hey man i understand what you think i understand that but what about x y and z and be prepared to learn something right be prepared to learn or understand another idea and and when those happens i think that's where you build those introspections because hopefully the people who are interested the people who are engaged they'll find a cause or a belief of theirs that they actually care about and maybe they'll be like well if i was wrong about that maybe i can learn about this as well i think that's great and specifically one-on-one that's a that's a that's a very tenable goal but what i personally find myself in the situation of is very much so again you know the background from michigan and whatnot a lot of my friends from back there very much toe the line liberals. And do you know why I I have my own personal thoughts and each one of them I consider different as why they pull from that rationality. Right. Uh, If I was to do a generalization, I would say the, um, I would cite the years and years of indoctrination through unionization up until president Clinton. uh, The idea was that the democratic party was the party of the people and in the individual and the union helped keep jobs and established a working wage for the worker, right? And you voted union because the Democrats would pass legislation in favor of that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, big, that's a big one, right? That was what jumped to my mind, right? I know a lot of people um, back in Michigan, too, who they were, if you met them and you came over and you had a beer with them, you would have thought by the amount of stereotypical guns and trucks and the way they talked and the way they carried themselves you would have guessed they were through and through just loving reagan but at the end of the day they voted democratic because they worked a union job and they needed their job and i think i will never discredit anyone who votes with their pocket i think that that's the first step of introspection ask people to take when they want to do something i was like when you have this belief just understand why you believe what it is 
if you vote because your pocketbook is what matters, then vote for why your pocketbook matters, right? That was a big hearkening to people who voted for Trump in 2020, as we circle back to that, too. I understand he says all these things. I think the things he says are terrible. But if he's going to pass that economic plan and I care about voting with my wallet, then I'm going to vote for the one that benefits me in that case. And that I won't discount someone if that's their logic to get there. But I, I just think that, you know, understanding why someone believes what they believe on that topic is that. And I, I 100 believe the undercurrents of union jobs, especially in Michigan, especially on the east side where you were, where there was much more prevalent union remnants from the heyday of auto manufacturing um, and some of the metal work that went over there. I, I wouldn't be surprised. That's decades of lifestyle that was built there. Yeah, I mean to that end, there, there, the local rock bar there is was called the uh, the Flint Local, right? So that's just even the punk scene, which is very much you know against the grain and whatnot, harkened back to the idea of unionization, right? So it's very, very much ingrained in the culture there. It, it's pretty. It was very much through and through. To this day, I still have a preference for GM-manufactured vehicles. Me too. Hey, we've been going for about an hour now, and I want to thank you if you made it to the end. Next episode, we talk more about globalization, government overreach through executive orders and other means. We dive into how we facilitate conversations with groups of friends on topics that matter and more. See you next time on Use After Free.